Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be discussing two vampire movies from 1992 that are so wildly like different financially <laughs> and not creatively pretty pretty wild too. Uh, it's going to be Innocent Blood and Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm host Michael and Kersey's on the other side. How's it going? I think instead of saying I'm your host Michael, I ran that into one word because I'm your host. <laughs> I hate the... <laughs> just, just a scream, basically. Yeah, I'll just try to wake up. I guess I have to do those uh, those radio uh, theater practices, you know, where you wake up your tongue, your mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just... Like some theater kid shit. Yeah, I know. Fuck you. I got a degree in theater. I'm a dork. I know this. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I love theater. I'm, I'm, I'm do, I, I am saying it uh, as someone who's done it. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's get the, the, the smaller movie out of the way, the one that we don't have as much to talk about because, wow... Uh, Innocent Blood, John Landis' follow-up to uh, American Werewolf in London, and this is kind of the beginning of the end for him creatively because the 80s were very, very good to this man. If you think about going in a decade where you had uh, Blues Brothers, uh, American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Twilight Zone, the, okay, Twilight Zone the movie, the movie's good, but that for him, was a fuck, I, I'm going to shut my pie hole now. Uh, we had Three Amigos, Coming to America, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, 90s roll around, and we got this, Beverly Hills Cop 3, The Stupids. Kind of the, kind of the John Hughes effect. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the directors really crumbled. I mean, even Carpenter, Dante, all those guys, maybe not creatively, but financially struggled, and then the studios just stopped talking to them. But... I can see on paper that this looked like it was a really good like financial investment. $20 million seems like a lot, but then you kind of look and like, well, they really shot it in New York and not Toronto, you know, and the special effects are top notch. Some of the stuff I'm still trying to figure out how they did. Yeah. Like it's pre-CGI. How did they get the sun melting under the, like it looked like lava coming out. You know how when when you see uh, lava rock where it's like you can see it flowing underneath, but it's kind of cool on top. That's what the vampires' bodies look like when they when the sun would hit them. Yeah, and then I, I, it's it's not the the biggest or the flashiest effect. But I, I really like the the eyes. Yeah, the uh, so I can see why you know. Oh, I had no names for American World for London, so I don't really need any names for this. But times have also changed. And by 92, we are now into, hey, what was your opening weekend? We need a star attached to this, not just the concept. Um, whereas in 81, you can have a movie come out with no names and just build word of mouth slowly. you know. And, and I think that's a big uh, fault for this. But also, the star has the Van Damme problem where she really can't be understood very well because of her French accent. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's not totally necessary because she's kind of a pretty small part of the movie, so I can see why on paper they're like, well, I don't think it matters oh. that much, but like, hey, the last like third of the movie really drags because of that. The uh, <laughs> I would not argue with John Landis decision and going well she's the one who agreed to lots of nudity <laughs> yes 92 that's is probably, that's what i was thinking too i was like okay now i know why we i mean you, you you literally like the first five minutes is her just walking around completely naked seeing everything just walking around her bedroom yep and 
on, you got handcuffed shit, and you're like, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, I was wrong. It's not New York. It's Philly. But you can see why I, I would misunderstand that. You, it's very understandable why, yes. Yeah. It's, it's mafia-type movie, so, um, yeah. And it's it's got a lot of humor to it. What I like is that she's a vigilante. She's like a, a hero vampire, which... I don't really remember them doing back then. Like, it seems like something that would grow over the last 30 years where you see a lot of, like, oh, this guy is cursed and he's really a hero. You know, that kind of vampire. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't... I wouldn't say that she's necessarily a hero. She's not doing it, like, because she's trying to, like, help Philly. She's doing it because, like, she that's the way she can live with herself by doing it. I guess, yeah. It's just kind of cool that she's like, oh, okay, well, if I gotta do it, I'm gonna take out mobsters, you know? It's like, uh, uh, yeah. what's it, uh, what's that show, Dexter? Where, well, I'm a serial yes. killer, well, I might as well just take out other killers, you know? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, uh, character behavior kind of comedy, which I like, instead of lots of slapstick and, uh, uh, one-liners, where it's just like, you're in this crazy situation, uh, where they're all kind of dealing with it's like their first exposure to what vampirism is. Uh, yeah. And just like, oh, that guy's not really dead. Oh, he just walked away. Okay. And then my favorite scene is when they're all chasing down the stairs and up again. It's like a weird rhythm beat kind of thing. Uh, which, yeah, that's that's exactly the the part that I was thinking of when uh, I can't. I think it was the it was either the lawyer or no, no, it wasn't the lawyer. It was uh, I think the police chief or a reporter. So they're they're like, when are we gonna get comments on? Uh, the, the the mafioso who died and he's like, look, as soon as as soon as the coroner's done, we'll know something. And then the guy's just running in the background, <laughs> first going downstairs and then immediately upstairs on the other side. <laughs> yeah, and these, it's funny how a lot of mobster movies either they're uh, they're really sinister, like the way like uh, Scorsese uh, plays it, uh, or or they're complete and utter dumbasses. Some of these guys are true dumb fucks. But it's kind of funny watching the levels. Like, some were so easily convinced and surrounded by vampires at the end. It's just like, hey, guys, what are you doing? What's with the glowing eyes? Oh, your face is all bloody. What's wrong with you? Like, how stupid do you have to be? <laughs> but it, right, there, there's, there's varying level of mobster in this movie. Yeah, I kind of like watching low-rent mobsters. Like, I don't... The, the high-end, like, uh, you know, with the uh, the 20s, it's always Capone and, and, you know, like Pretty Boy Floyd. Like, those guys that were really notorious. There's so many dumb fuck... Like, Fargo, like, uh, uh, the Coen brothers love tapping into just, like, your blue-collar, low-level mobster. Yeah, and this is a good blend because it has that same, like, intro to a mob boss that you've seen in dozens of movies where it's kind of like the guy's got to take him into the back and everyone's quiet and doesn't know exactly what's going on and then you get there and it's the typical sort of like you know the boss is calm and then does like a beat down but mm-hmm. like where 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 this movie differs is that people try to stop him they're like whoa what the hell are you doing like, yeah this yeah is not this is not a good look like everyone like th- there is a sense of like not being in control or just kind of being in over his head as a mob boss. And that's kind of a refreshing take on the formula. And I also like the fact that we don't spend the whole movie with our protagonist, played by Anthony LaPaglia, being undercover. That's actually kind of the rugs pulled out from that pretty quickly. And, you yeah. know, oh, the case is done. He gets to go back to his normal life. Uh-oh, the guy's not dead. And then it switches. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I feel like we should explain a little bit. So base, the basic premise is that it is modern day for the 90s. Um, we're in the 90s, right? We're not yeah, 80s. we're in 92, yeah. It's just, it it's feels just, like the know, 70s, it, though. It does. It really does feel like an 80s movie. But anyway, uh, Vampire Lady. Uh, what was her name? Like Maria? In the yes. Movie? Yeah, Marie. Yeah. So um, she, decided, she had lost her partner. And she hasn't eaten in days or maybe even weeks, so she decides to, you know, eat up on the the Italianos. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, in doing that, she kickstarts this whole uh, process of unwittingly um, turning um, the entire Italian mafia into vampires. Um, which then a renegade cop has to like they have to team up. She has to team up with a renegade cop to go stop the vampires. Yeah, it's, oh. kind, it's kind of it. It starts out like a very interesting sort of modern vampire movie, and then kind of is like a comedy at the same, it, it, like buddy comedy, and then turns into like this weird actiony sort of third act. It's 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 kind of bizarre. It, it's it doesn't really belong in any sort of category of movie. I think the part where she jumps off the top of the building and crushes his car to land, I'm like, you're a vampire. You really didn't need to destroy my car. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of weird. Because <laughs> she clearly shows that she can fly. She's flying, uh, flying around that, uh, that you know, that point of view uh, during the church scene where she kind of, she fly floats or something like that. So there's no need for what she did. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think she even, she did it ever again either. No, um, it says here, and I don't remember this at the end of the movie, but it says that at the end of the movie, there's a voiceover that says that she took him, that she was going to kill herself. He took her back to a hotel to keep her safe and convinced her to stay alive, and that she decided, uh, since they loved each other, that she was going to turn him into a vampire. I don't remember that at all. I did not see that. It was it pretty much ended uh, when they killed the the. The, the mafia boss right right and they like kind of like walked away and i think it just cut to black yeah uh but which also doesn't make any sense because if if <laughs> she kind of needs him to stay human so that he keeps her safe during the day that's how it works usually with vampires yeah i mean like the a lot of vampires have like their their human uh partners in crime like renfield to dracula yeah the um the guy that plays the main villain nobody really like under thirty probably really knows who he is but there was a point where he was kind of up and comer most people probably know him from the movie Big with Tom Hanks but Robert Loja always surprises me with his voice because he sounds like he gargled razor blades right before talking. Yeah, I I, I don't really know exactly what he was going for. I like he. He's threatening, but he's also funny, but not in like the Joe Pesci kind of way. I don't know. It, it, it's it's almost like it, I want to, I want to say cringy. I, I don't really know how to explain. Uh, well, I, he's a guy him. who's dumber than he thinks he is. Yes, yeah. I guess that's perfect encapsulation. He he's on top of he's on top of this mafia empire, but like. No one really knows how because he's not very good at what he does. No, he seems like, okay, when you say the top of a mafia empire, of course with the family there can be so many different legs. I bet you he's yeah. just the king of that Philly neighborhood. He's not even the king of Philly. He's <laughs> the guy who the people above him said, hey, you run the strip clubs and the bars and we'll smuggle stuff through your places. You good with that? And he's like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, he gets paid a lot of money, but he doesn't really, he doesn't have any, like, actual power. Right, right. He doesn't make any decisions. <laughs> He's just the head of his little troop. Like, if Sonny yeah. in Philadelphia were a bunch of mobsters, he's Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like most uh, John Landis movies, we do have cameos from other guys in the business. We have Dario Argento making a, a cameo as a paramedic. A paramedic. Forrest J. Ackerman, uh, uh, he used to do uh, film Monsters, uh, or Monsters of Filmland, which is like before Fangoria existed. Uh, huh. Sam Raimi. Um, is the guy you probably recognize him he's the guy who's just slicing the meat um, yeah Tom Savini is the photographer who's following the mafioso guys and then Frank Oz probably had the biggest role of all of this and he's the uh, the pathologist mm-hmm. but I always think it's funny that John Landis always fills his cast with uh, other directors that he can con and showing up <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is kind of uh, towards the end of his studio years because like I said, he does Beverly Hills Cop 3, but that's a huge flop that nearly derails everything for him. He does The Stupids, uh, Blues Brothers 2000, and then oh, nobody... Yeah, we talked about The Stupids. We did, and nobody wants anything to do with him after that mm-hmm. ever again. No. <laughs> but uh, I will say, this played at a theater that in the town that I lived at. We only showed one movie, and it still apparently was a complete and utter flop, even in our own town. If you have if you have a choice of no movies and this movie, people chose no movie. <laughs> <laughs> One of the few horror films to actually play in that town, because it was super religious. Um, the next movie was a phenomenon, and I think, unlike most horror movies around this time, it really created like a whole excitement, because... It was epic. It was event filmmaking. Not only do you have a huge budget, it's a legendary story told by a legendary director. And I just remember everybody talking about this movie. And me and my friends were talking about it in our church group. or We were with our youth pastor and his wife. And she told us, you really shouldn't be watching Dracula. It's not very good for Christian boys to watch. And we're like, but they use Christian things to stop evil. And she just kind of stared blankly at us. Well, there's lots of nudity and blood in it. You shouldn't see it. <laughs> yeah, you're telling that to teenage boys and be like, oh yeah, you're right, I'm not going to see that. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> um, I didn't know this, but I was looking at the numbers and there's only one horror movie at for the longest time that ever made more money than Bram Stoker's Dracula, and that was The Exorcist. And that was like 300 million worldwide for the longest time. Of course, there's been numerous re-releases, but Bram Stoker's Dracula held the record by for a long shot. I think until what maybe The Ring for like a, which is like 10 years later. That's pretty uh, pretty phenomenal for a horror movie during this time when nobody cared. Yeah, and it is again one of those things that's really interesting about it is to see a horror movie with this kind of budget. And we we alluded to that, but like. If you think about a lot of the horror movies, even today, what are, what are they, like 20 million at the highest? Oh, yeah, I mean, Blumhouse, every once in a while you'll get one, but it's usually like it's an action horror film, like Van Helsing or something like that, where it has a big name attached to it, like The Mummy with uh, uh, Tom, well, all the mummies, really, those are really expensive, but they can't be R-rated, and they have yeah. to have a big name director or a big name actor attached to it, and it's usually not straight up horror, they have to water it down. Um, yeah. What's astounding to me, though, is that Bram Stoker's Dracula is only twice as much as the other movie we just discussed. Innocent Blood cost $20 million. This cost 40 and I'm telling you, they got every single cent out of this. And, and you're talking probably yeah. 10 of it went to Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. 
actually a lot cheaper than I thought. Cause it, like, I mean, like conversion rates, I, I don't know what that would be. But, I mean, this looks like a $100 million movie. Yeah, I honestly thought, and, and Wikipedia has been wrong, but I thought that it cost $70 million when, when it came out. But the big difference is, is they're shooting this overseas, they're shooting this on sets, whereas a, a lot of Innocent Blood is on the streets of Philly, you know, and so they have to pay all those costs, whatever, to shut down streets and, and stuff like that. Uh, plus yeah. tax rebates usually from other countries. I'm curious if they shot this like in Bulgaria, because then like you know, then it's worth a lot more money there. Our dollar. That's yeah. Even today, still, that's that's what we do. So yeah. But I still, sense. even at forty million dollars, it is insane that the studio said, "Yeah, make the craziest goddamn decisions you can." At least with acting, fucking Gary Oldman is over the top, and I love every second of it. Yes. Oh. I did like there's that's what like, the worst thing I think about the movie is that most of the acting is really boring. Not a lot of interesting decisions being made, um, except for Gary Oldman. He really sells it. Yeah, and you know the big thing about this is that you know Keanu Reeves. This is where we started seeing what a shitty actor it was, and look. I can see why he took this. It was completely different than anything else he probably was even offered at the time. And it's huge director, huge cast. You know, this is a big cachet for him because I think he had just done Point Break, which everybody thinks is a fun classic now, but we all recognize it's also kind of campy. And Johnny Depp was originally supposed to be the star. He dropped out when production was almost ready to go because he and Winona broke up. They went to Christian Slater, who turned it down, which he's apparently he said he, he re-regretted. I don't know if he would be any better. Uh, yeah. but... <laughs> I do not blame that. Yeah, that's a big one. Well, I mean, I don't know if he would be any better in the role, honestly, but Keanu, oh, like no, I'm saying, not. like what options do they really have? It's not a really showy performance, and no. they had to have someone ready to go immediately. So I do not blame Keanu for this. It, it is miscast, but I'm I'm not pissed at him. It's just one of those situations that happens. Yeah, and it, it, it's not it's not a lot for him to do in the movie. No, it's it's not a really juicy role. Um, so like really the at the at the core of the movie, it's a love story, and yeah. that's between Winona Winona Ryder and uh, Gary Oldman. And I, I well, always they, wonder, they really have the, the most meat that you Right, want right. I think Winona's a little big in her performance. I think it's a little campy, but also she's super young, and, and I think she was just following Coppola's, you know, directions. And Coppola's known for sometimes just going way over the top. Yeah. I mean, that's not, it's, not a, it's not a big deal. It's just, it, it's something that kind of holds it back from aging gracefully. Yeah. Well, I think he wanted operatic, and operatic is big. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, especially like the opening scene uh, with him renouncing God. I mean, yeah. that's that's big. <laughs> well, and Anthony Hopkins goes really big in this insane. too. So I, I think in comparison to the main three characters, you know, that's why Keanu also looks a little bit worse because everybody else is chewing the fucking scenery with you know a fork yeah. and knife and barbecue sauce, whereas Keanu's a little more laid back. Yeah, I think he's trying. I don't know if this is like his, if he was trying to ground the thing, but it it, it just it, it doesn't. It, a lot of scenes just really kind of fall flat, and it's, yeah. and again, it, it's still good. You should watch it. But yeah, yeah. Again, it is one of those things where it's it, it is kind of like eh, it's kind of a it's not a great decision. 
Well, what's surprising to me is there are the three other male actors, the suitors for Lucy. And I'm kind of surprised that Coppola didn't go, okay, one of you guys, I'm moving you up in the ranks. You know, and then add somebody to that wouldn't be as much uh, noticed, you know, coming into last minute toward, you know, like to want to be one of the suitors instead. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, everything, special effects, spot on. Oh, yeah. Uh, your leads, fantastic. Uh, um, costume design. Uh, Woo! Costume design. Uh, the scenery, the sets, everything is gorgeous. I, I think. Shot beautifully. I think the final chase sequence is really intense and so well made. They're using lots of matte paintings, and, and the score is killer. I think I think it's one of those movies that we we kind of wrote off. I think as just being camp, but I think what he was going for, especially in this time period when no one was doing this, uh, is truly astounding. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can backseat all we want, but at the end of the day, it's it's a masterpiece that people still talk about. Yeah, um, and there's like so many scenes that are just like burned into my brain. Like, uh, I mean, obviously the iconic like his shadow moves when he's oh yeah 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 <laughs> the lick in the blade <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like all of that is, well I think is just like is iconic the like well like there's the bringing in the baby or whatever and he freaks out uh, when the three ladies uh, are and then wait 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 no 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 I'm. Is that two different scenes where that happens? Because I remember Lucy brings starts to bring a baby in that she kidnapped into her uh, her what do you call that tomb? It's oh, mausoleum. Mausoleum. I don't know what you call it in England back then, but you know I thought that was really haunting. Of course, the the spraying of the blood, which was so wonderfully parodied <laughs> in Dracula Dead, and loving it, which <laughs> is it's just gallons of blood. It's just. And like I said, it's operatic, so it's supposed to be big and in your face. I love the the makeup effects that Greg Canham did; those full body suits. He he gave like a different interpretation of what a werewolf could look like. It's almost like a an ape in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of fun, and it's just like if you don't like one thing, there's something else there for you to check out. Yeah, I mean, like the way that the the clothing moves. Uh... Like water is so fascinating, like how they did that, and it just looks amazing. I love like uh, Dracula's armor set in in the opening that yeah, just yeah. looks like muscle, like all these great, amazing details. Um, it, it's just it's just unfortunate that it is oftentimes hampered down by middling performances. Yeah, the uh, this was successful enough that he was produced. He produced uh, uh, Frankenstein in 1994, which I think the problem with that one and why That's it bombs... The Niro one? Yeah. I think the problem is, is it's just not as epic. It, it feels more low-key. Francis is just producing it, so he kind of steps aside, and it's supposed to be classy. And I've always thought that of all the, mo- the movie monsters, I think the Frankenstein story is the most boring. Interesting. Do you, do you like it? Because I just, I just find it dull. I, I well, out of, out of like the monster movies of like the... 1940s era uh, the Frankenstein I think was probably the best one but that's a lot of that's Boris Karloff I think yeah and, but I also feel like that's of that era I just uh, yeah actually I, of, mean, if you're, if you're, I haven't seen a good version since I'll right that. that's that's what I think they keep making them or whatever and it's just like yeah no <laughs> but I'll say this I'll take any of the classic interpretations over I Frankenstein <laughs> oh god that was garbage oh, oh dear boy. <laughs> I'm a superhero oh, now. 
but then you, you got um, oh man, Young Frankenstein. Well, yeah, that's great, okay. That's another good one. <laughs> uh, what's the What's the one that came out a few years ago? I was just talking about this with someone. The James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe. I thought that was Life Frankenstein. No, I Frankenstein's the one with uh, the guy who played Two Face in Dark Knight, um, Aaron Eckhart, where he's like oh, a superhero and he's fighting those gargoyles. Oh. No, it's it's another one where they try to explain like the scientific way that you know Igor would have this hump. They're like, don't just give him a hump, let it go. Now he's all like buff Victor and handsome. Victor and, Victor and Igor or something. Something like something that, stupid. yeah. That was completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say about these, but uh, I, I would say both think, are worth I watching. Talked, but I think, I think we talked longer about Innocent Blood just because uh, it's, it's so different. I, I think the problem is that just Bram Stoker's Dracula is just one of those classics that most people have seen. There's not really a lot to not really a lot to talk about. It's no. just it's really good. You should right, see I mean, it. Yeah, it's it's I guess uh here's the thing is I've never read the book, but I remember they were trying to sell it as this is the most faithful adaption of the uh of the original novel. Is it? I've never read it. I, I feel like the, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm there's something new. Another another thing detail that I like that I it is it's a very, it's a little, just the slightest bit different than like the older sort of Dracula movies going into the modern age is that crucifixes don't have the same effect. Right. And oh, and, and he can be in the daylight. Detail. That's the other thing. He can be in the daylight. He's clearly there in London. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe one day I'll read the book. Who knows? Yeah, and then you get to Blade, where they completely rewrite like vampire lore. But this is kind of an interesting transition into that. Does it feels like that's the kind of final say on classic vampires? I feel like after that, it's just like, well, make up your own mythology. We're we're kind of just winging it now. Yeah, I was like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna are you gonna outdo Coppola? Is that what you're gonna do? Yeah, you're not gonna. So. And I was the game's over. Coppola, I guess, is in trouble financially because he's self-financing what is supposed to be his final epic, the one he's been wanting to make for decades, Megalopolis. And he, I don't know if you've heard, like he's been trying to get it. It got so close to being made like ten years ago, and nothing happened. So he sold a bunch of his property. He's self-financing. But he's already running into trouble where he's running out of money. He fired the special effects crew and things are slow, like production wise, so it's adding more. But I, I gotta say, if you're gonna go out, go out big. If this is your final film, he's gotta be, what, like 85 years old, you know? Yeah. But Dracula is during that time period where he was just taking movies uh, for the studio paycheck because he already lost his ass in 81, uh, self financing his own studio and then had like three flops right in a row and he was dead in the water. And at least with Dracula, he got to put his own stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And right. made, you know, a classic out of it. And that's the kind of interesting... I didn't know that he was making his, like, one of his last big movies. I didn't know that he was doing it. I thought he was dead already. Oh, Which, no. Well, in 87, he did Rainmaker. And that was kind of like the last of his cashing in the studio paychecks. And he kind of backed off. We lived in Napa for a while. And he's really big in the community there. He funds local theater groups, he, you know, kids stuff and charities. And so he just focused on all these wineries. And he has, like, these massive wineries. And uh, I guess he sold some of the property off because it's worth a fortune. Uh, the movie's supposed to cost $90 million, but at the rate that he's going, they're saying it's going to cost him 120 So I don't know where they're going to... Yeah. 
I'm I would especially say like if, especially if you completely dismantle a special effects crew and start over. I mean, like that's yeah, that's gonna and, cost and, you a shitload. And it's not post production special effects. It's because they're trying to save money. Uh, they're using virtual studios uh, because it's supposed to be set in the far future. And that's yeah. the problem. His communication that he's having on set while shooting wasn't working, but now he's just like dead in the water. He has nobody to work with. And I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, fuck, George Lucas is right nearby, dude. You guys are like best friends for decades. Go get his help. <laughs> yeah, maybe he burned that bridge. I don't know. Maybe. Um, uh, but, yeah, because I was just watching Cronenberg's recent Crimes of the Future, which yeah. is a remake of his first like student film. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. And, like, what, Cronenberg's, like, 90 or something? Uh, I don't know. Still, I think he's younger like, than the other guys, but I'm not sure. I mean, he's still, like, cranking out hits. Yeah. I don't know if it was a big hit, but, I mean, it's, it's a really good movie. And it's it's very different from, from his student film, but it has, like, he basically took everything that he's learned from uh, his years of filmmaking and then, you know, remaking your first movie. And it's It's fantastic, so... I'm trying to look. Cronenberg, within, you know, Cronenberg is 79. Is he really? Oh my god, he looks terrible for 79. <laughs> hey, wait till we get to 55, and we'll be like, oh god, I just want to die. <laughs> uh, so terrible. He he made he made a short film just a couple of years ago of of him being dead, of him just kind of mourning his his own dead body. So I thought he was I thought he was terminal. That's wild uh francis for coppola is 83 so yeah all these guys are kind of like wrapping it up i mean yeah it's just I, f- I feel like some of them might have like one last raw like the way coppola is doing it and in cronenberg at least had a, a, a bit of a boom creatively uh lately and i'm just curious if like carpenter dante uh de palma you know these guys still have some juice left in their career I think De Palma's still working at Evelyn. Yeah, just but his like stuff, De Palma's stuff is like one of those, oh, I raised the money from, you know, like uh, Sweden and a million from this country. Like, it's a, it's not from a studio. It's like 10 different little independent companies all over the world and trying to get a movie made. It would just be yeah, nice. Yeah, and, and they're just kind of the collective meh to them. Yeah, well, that last one apparently was god-awful, and I love De Palma, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, but I'll eventually I'll watch Domino. All right, so that is it for this episode. Check us out where you check us out. There's no long-winded bullshit now. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.